AD 62. The Apostle Paul writes, The Book of Colossians. An Introduction to the Epistle to the Colossians. The goal of effective Bible study is getting the mind of God into the actions and attitudes of men. This series on the Book of Colossians is presented by Air Jaren. It is produced by Global Radio Ministries and Jaren Ministries International. This series is the work of Dr. James Cece. Second Timothy 2 verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. An important part of biblical study is hermeneutics. Applying the rules of interpretation. And now, with part one of his introduction to the book of Colossians is Dr. Cece. This little apparatus that I have in my hand, called a cell phone, can sometimes get us a little bit in trouble if we're not careful, especially as we try to earn the, or learn the art of texting. One of our church members texted me about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and it was obvious that he needed a word of encouragement. So I thought I would be cool. So I wrote him this elaborate text, took me about five minutes. And in that text, I thought I was saying to him words of encouragement, and as I invited him to read Psalm 118. Apparently, that's not what I wrote. Instead, I received this response as I had encouraged him to read Psalm 188. Pastor, my version of the Bible does not have 188 chapters of Psalms. So I looked up Psalm 18, verse 8, but I don't think you meant this verse. Smoke rose from his nostrils. <laughs> Consuming fire came from his mouth. And burning coals blazed out of it. In other words, I encouraged him with the words that God is angry and he's going to burn you to a crisp. <laughs> so I've decided not to text my message this morning. Amen? Amen. And invite you to turn to something that you should know how to manage. A Bible. And to be able to turn pages to the book of Colossians. But it doesn't matter to me if you are adept at using a phone or a computer or an iPad or whatever else that you're using to study with me. That's fine too. As long as you turn to the same book, the 12th book of the 27 books of the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then what? Colossians. About a week and a half ago, my wife and I visited our foster daughter, Lisa, and her twin children, uh, little uh, TJ and Madeline, Thomas Jefferson and Madeline. And uh, I was there deep in the heart of Texas, Dallas, Texas. And uh, I got to thinking as I was writing the introduction to the message right there while I was with them that there I am deep in the heart of the New Testament. And really, in the heart of Christianity. Because Colossians is about learning to rejoice in the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ. In other words, folks, you and I 
get to once again be reminded of the importance of putting Christ first in everything. Everybody say, in everything. And that's why we're here. So I invite you to take out those outlines that we provide for you. And let's look at an introduction to the epistle to the Colossians. And I want you to imagine the scene. It's around 60 A.D. A couple of messengers from Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, will travel over a 1,000 miles, maybe even up to 1,200 miles, which was difficult because they either walked or went on some beast of burden and traveled all the way to Rome where Paul is incarcerated in a Roman prison. They have a time of typical fellowship and prayer together. And then the Apostle Paul hands them three rolled up pieces of either papyrus, Egyptian paper, or deerskin called vellum. He hands these to the messengers. One was to his friend Philemon. The other to a group of people in the city of Ephesus called the Ephesians. And another to a group of people in the city of Colossae, Colossians. A few weeks later, he would pen another epistle. And he would hand it to another messenger, this one written to a church in the city of Philippi, to the Philippians. J. Vernon McGee rightly comments when he says, I don't think any armored car ever carried more valuable documents And he ended that with, May God richly bless you, my beloved. All of these four companion letters are referred to as Paul's prison epistles. But because of the content of all those epistles, they really could be called the anatomy of the church or the anatomy of Christianity because they reflect what holds the church together. Really, it could be said, they they reflect what holds you together as a part of the family of God and what holds us together as a local assembly here in Fresno, California, and what holds the universal church and all the disciples of Jesus Christ together who are alive today, and what holds together all the believers of every age. Amazing epistles and worthy of our reflection. Before we move on, I want you to show me your Bible. Just hold it up. If you're using an iPad, you can hold that up too. It's all right. And what's amazing today is that although these letters were written originally in the Koine, or the common Greek language of the first century, here we are in 2012, privileged to read these very letters in our own language. That never ceases to amaze me. I never want to forget or to take for granted that when I open this Bible, functionally, it is dipped in the blood of the martyrs who gave their lives so that you and I might have the Word of God in our own tongue. That you and I don't have to study ancient Hebrew or ancient Aramaic or even ancient Greek. That we don't have to sit cloistered in some room where we're bantering over ancient words, that you and I can have this book in our own language and written perhaps in ink or even a little handheld apparatus. My son-in-law is the one that, that uh, was the designer for the U Bible. 
if you have that on your phone. And I marvel as I talk with him because on my hand I have 30 different languages. 30. Some of them with five or six different translations. Scores and scores of Bible versions in my hand but still don't forget it was paid for by the sacrifice of so many before us. What a privilege to have a Bible in our own language. And we're also equally privileged to begin an expositional verse-by-verse study of one of those prison epistles, namely Colossians. Because I believe in this local church's history, the many months that we're going to spend are well worth it. See, if you think we just arbitrarily say, hmm, let's see now, let's pick a book. Why don't we do Proverbs? Hmm, why not? Let's go ahead and do Second Kings. No, no, no. I want to tell you how it happens that you and I are now engaged in a study of Colossians that will take us for a year. Now, I lay my life before those elders. I get on my knees and they lay hands on me. And we pray together that God would direct us as a church to what He wants us to hear. We spent three years in the Gospel of John. We spent time in First Thessalonians. We've been in James. We've been in First Peter. We've been in other places as well. Listen to me. We take this very seriously that we believe that the themes and the principles and the Word of God expressed here in Colossians is absolutely what we need here at Campus Bible Church this year. And we're believing God for that. And that's why we need to pray. And you need to pray for me that I would be clear in my presentation, not so we might impress the world, but so that we might grow and impact the world ourselves. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for the Word of God in our own language. Thank You for the Spirit of God who indwells the hearts of Your people. And thank You for the people of God that You raise up to clarify, to communicate. And I pray, Lord God, that you would protect us from error, protect us from overstatement, and protect us from understatement. Spirit of God, give us the wisdom that we need to encounter this book, that it might travel that 18 inches from our head to our heart, and then that journey out into our lives in the world. So we lay ourselves before you, ready to be doers of the Word, not just hearers, ready to respond in obedience, ready to put you first in our lives. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Got to tell you a cute story. made me laugh all throughout the holidays. A woman goes to the post office and she buys stamps for her Christmas cards and she says to the postal clerk, May I have 50 Christmas stamps? And the postal clerk says, well, what denomination? And she aghast says, oh no, has it come to that? Okay, give me 22 Baptists, 12 Presbyterians, 10 Pentecostals, and 6 Methodists. Now, I like that. You didn't like that. Made me laugh. First service didn't laugh either. I should have learned. But listen to me. Whether you're a Baptist, a Presbyterian, a Pentecostal, or a Methodist, or anything else, you are welcome to join us in this verse-by-verse study. 
We've been so blessed as a church this year to have so many new people in our first service and our second service and listening online as well. We have people listening in Eastern Europe. We have people listening in Western Europe. We have people listening in Africa. We have people listening in Australia, people listening in New Zealand. Some of the groups are even meeting together after they listen to this, so we send our greetings to them as well. But what a blessing to have modern technology Enable us to be able to communicate around the world while we're cloistered here in beautiful Fresno, California. Okay, I lied. <laughs> Fresno, California. What an amazing thing. But if we're going to have people listen and understand, then they need to also know how we're going to approach this ancient text. A number of years ago, I wrote for this church a manual that's called Mastering the Scriptures, a self-study course in effective Bible study. You can pick one of these up outside if you want, in which we engage the realities that we don't just study the Word of God so that we can go around the world telling people we know the Word of God. We spend time in the Word of God not just to collect information. But that the goal of effective Bible study is getting the mind of God into the actions and attitudes of men. You catch that? That our goal is getting the mind of God into our actions and attitudes. Social scientists love to debate what comes first. Attitude or action or action or attitude. I don't care. Because we have to change both. And I need an attitude adjustment this year, don't you? And I need some action changes as well. I'm sure you do. And I'm not interested in opinions. I'm not interested in speculations. I am not interested in lofty religious sentimentalism. I want to know clearly what God said in this epistle and to do something about it. To be more than just a listener and a hearer, but to be a doer. To take action. And we're going to apply some specific rules of hermeneutics. Everybody say hermeneutics. Now, I don't expect you to be texting that word because you'll misspell it. But simply we're talking about applying the rules of interpretation. The problem is that every church and every group of churches and every denomination have their own rules for hermeneutics. And it gets confusing to us. And rather than me debate which one is best... I'm going to tell you which one I use. And then you can make your decisions. Because I hold very dearly to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Listen to what Paul said. He said, be diligent. That means it's hard work. To present yourself approved to God. That's who we want to please when we study. As a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. Accurately handling the word of truth. And the expression that Paul uses there is from a tent maker's skill, because that's what he did. You all know if you've ever made anything and you've cut it too short, you have to throw it away. If you don't cut it right, it doesn't fit. You need to rightly cut, rightly divide, rightly deal with the word of truth. You don't get to be mismatched. You don't get to be arbitrary. You better know how to measure and how to utilize the word of truth. Precept upon precept, 
word upon word, line upon line. And that's why, as we study this, I may not finish the message, and I will not finish today's message. And you've got to be okay with that. But I also want to share what we believe here at Campus Bible Church and the rules that we're going to follow all the way through the study. Because we not only have the goal of getting the mind of God into our heart and our actions, but we also have a method that we call historical grammatical exegesis. That's a fancy phrase. It's a theological mouthful. I, I doubt if you're going to say, hey, dude, you know, I'm here at church doing HGE. Historical, grammatical exegesis. I, I doubt if that's going to become popular like LOL. But each of those words are very important. Because we're committed to examine the historical and the cultural background of this epistle. And we will do that to open our understanding. We're also going to see the importance of studying the words and the phrases and even the grammatical nuances of, a, of an ancient language called Koine Greek. We're going to do that together because we want to expand our appreciation for the depth of the Word of God. We're going to engage in biblical exegesis. Say that? Biblical exegesis. Which simply means we're going to utilize inductive Bible study methods. Which requires that we not read into the text what we already presupposed, but that we pull out of the text what it says, regardless of whether we like it regardless of whether it has an ouch factor to it. And plenty of Colossians will. And then, by God's grace, we're not only going to do observation and interpretation, but we're going to do application. The so what? The what does that mean in terms of my life? And how can I apply that today? About a week and a half ago, we got word that one of our redwood trees was lifting up our pool pump and uh, breaking the concrete underneath that was its foundation. We called the city and they said, no, we can't take care of it, even though it's their tree, until it breaks and floods your house. So I decided to be proactive, to take care of it myself. Uh, one of the guys that does our pool came over and he helped me and we picked up axes and mattoxes and shovels and, and we began the hard work of rebuilding a foundation. Not very much fun. In fact, I was rather sore for a day and a half afterwards. And when you come over to my house, you're not going to say, wow, isn't that a beautiful pool pump? And look at the foundation of concrete underneath that. And wow, I'll bet that that's free of intruding roots below that. <laughs> You'll just appreciate the fact that when you come to my backyard, it's not flooded. And so it is with biblical exegesis. It's not fun to do foundation work, but it's hard work. It's the hardest of work. But without foundation, there is error. Because above the ground, there's lots of doctrine. But below the ground, there has to be a fundamental theological position. There has to be an approach to Scripture that then allows you, as we're doing, to ensure the future. And you do the hard work of blocking the roots that are insidious, that will destroy from the 
unseen and become seen. That's what we're doing here in effective Bible study. So even before we get to the actual text, to, to the jewels, to the things that we all want to know, well, that's great. Oh, that does well with my family. Oh, I need that about working in, my, in the workplace. I, I need that in terms of how to do this. So before we get to that, we need to spend some time looking at some of the history and, and look at an overview of the epistle, uh, if you will, to the who, what, where, when, how, and, and why, and the why not, until then... We'll get to the so what. And it's going to drive some of you seasoned Bible students crazy. Because I cannot assume, because we have so many listeners in so many places, that everybody's on the same page. But it's good review. So let's get on with the journey into Colossians. And we begin with the title. You say, what? Came all the way to church today and going to preach on the title? I'm in the process of writing another book, and my wife and I talked yesterday on the way to church last night to a, a group gathering. What do you think I should title this new book? And we bantered a little bit. Why are titles important? When you go to a bookstore, you look at the title first. That attracts you to the content. It doesn't say it in and of itself. It just gets you there. Now, I don't think that's real catchy, the epistle of Paul to the Colossians, but it certainly is foundational. It says a lot. It's an epistle. It's an epistle of Paul to a group of Christians in the city of Colossae that were called the Colossians. It's an epistle. I've said this before. An epistle. It's not the wife of an apostle. Had somebody actually asked me that. It's a letter. It was written at a specific time and a specific place to a specific group of people for a specific purpose. And that's important to know. Uh, imagine going into some chest that you've had in your garage that was handed down to you from some ancestors. And you reach into it and you find an old letter. And you pull out the letter, and there's some ancient name with some ancient uh, person that wrote it to somebody that you didn't know. You know there's a connection, you just don't know what the connection is. But you begin to do a little research, and you find out it's your great-great-great-great-grandfather writing your soon-to-be great-great-great-great-grandmother. They're engaged. And he didn't take so long. <laughs> Would that not have context now? Suddenly now you have vested interest because you're the product of that relationship. So it is with this letter. Our great, 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 you keep adding them, relative, the Apostle Paul, wrote a letter to our great, 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 great spiritual ancestors, the Christians in Colossae, and we have connection with them because we'll be with them in glory. This isn't a nice little letter. These are family matters. 
Regarding the city of Colossae, it was located in Asia Minor, a once great and powerful center of industry and commerce, heavily in textiles. The region is famous for its earthquakes. At the time of Paul's writing, there was a mixed population of Jews and Gentiles. Colossae had become known for its worship of angels. The church was about to be destroyed by a syncretistic blending of false religion, pagan rituals and worldly philosophy. The Colossian heresy, false religion, wearing the mask of true Christianity. The Colossians didn't openly deny Christ as Savior, but dethroned Him as Lord. They called people to give Christ a place in their lives? Just, not first place. So much distraction in the world With so much action out as one Maintain attention in and home One live for purpose and not waste time On what is worthless and follow a God His love has changed us though we crawl You might say I'm just one But the Father gave His so what if he had you Would Jesus shine through And your life's bigger His very heart What would the world see Could it change where they'd be And bring about all the Father's plan If he had you Father gave 